Good morning. Happy Easter. What a glorious day. You know, I've been keeping my eye on the forecast for Easter Sunday for 10 days now because I've got a 10-day forecast on my phone, right? And uh, 10 days ago, it was forecast the high today was to be 66. That was the high and it's been slowly climbing all, uh, all the last week and a half until now we know that, that today, the high today is to be 81, and we are 70 degrees out right now. Is that not a blessing or what? What, uh, what a wonderful day. You know, I am so thankful for the uh, wonderful weather. I'm so thankful to see so many uh, wonderful faces this morning, or at least half your face. Uh, but it is so good to gather together here, or if you're gathering together uh, at home, uh, we welcome you as well. We have so much to be thankful for. We have a church family to be thankful for. We have a beautiful day to be thankful for. But more than anything, today we are thankful for our salvation through Jesus' death and resurrection. That is really the reason we have gathered on Easter morning, to remember that uh, though we were once separated uh, from God because of our sin, the death and the resurrection of Jesus has torn down that barrier and given us access to have a relationship with the Almighty God who loves us so much. And so that is the real uh, thing that we are most thankful for here on this Easter Sunday. The point of today's Easter message is that Jesus is a truth-teller. My hope is that by the end of today's uh, message, that we will understand that Jesus has brought truth into a world of uncertainty, into a world filled with lies and deceptions, that Jesus has brought truth, and that truth can change our lives, that Jesus is a truth-teller. That's what we're going to find in uh, the story of the resurrection in Matthew 28 or 27 and 28. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. If you are uh, if you have the uh, program, the verses will be in your uh, program. If you're watching at home, the verses will be on your screen at home. But uh, we're going to look at the first of the Gospels, the first book of the New Testament, Matthew 20, the end of or Matthew, the end of chapter 27 and the beginning of chapter 28. Let's go before the Lord uh, in prayer and ask that he would uh, bless today's message. Almighty God, we turn our hearts and our minds towards you in a year that has been filled with such craziness. We we pray now that you would ground us in your truth, a truth, uh, a message that is full of grace and love a solid foundation that is a life that is built upon you. And we pray now that as we come before you, that you would speak to us. God, fill our hearts with hope and joy as we turn our attention to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, I had a sneaky feeling about today. I had a sneaky feeling that today was going to be a beautiful day. I didn't believe the forecast when I first saw it. I saw, no, 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 it's going to be uh, more beautiful than that. Every once in a while, you get that feeling kind of in your gut. You just, you know something's going to happen. 
Uh, Pastor Darren touched on this already, but you know when when uh, both our LA teams made the Elite Eight, I had a sneaky feeling that one of them was going to advance and one of them wasn't. Now I am a die-hard Trojans fan by marriage. For the sake of my marriage, I root for USC, and not only do we root for USC, we root against UCLA. All right, but I had this sneaky feeling that UCLA was going to make the Final Four and USC was going to be sent, ho- sent home. And uh, sure enough, that's exactly what happened. But man, what a game, huh? An overtime game last night. Uh, the Bruins almost made the championship. An overtime game, if it wasn't for some lucky half-court bank shot. Uh, I know some of you are grieving this morning, so uh, God bless you. Uh, but what a run. But I had a sneaky feeling. Sometimes we have a premonition that something is going to happen, good or bad. There was a time I was sitting in my home, and uh, I, uh, a family came to my mind. Not a family that I would talk to all the time, but I knew fairly well. And I could just tell in my heart something told me that something uh, was going on with this family. And I called them up on the phone at that moment and uh and we trace back the uh, i got the answering machine but we trace back the minute that i called was the exact minute that someone drove by the front of their house and it was a drive-by shooting and their son was killed but i had that sneaky suspicion i had something in my heart you know, there's sometimes something happens within us that we just get a feeling, good or bad. In the first century, the, uh, the religious leaders, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they had this feeling that something was about to happen. Now, Jesus had been uh, put to death, and uh, these were the leaders, the religious leaders. I'm not talking about the good guys. These were the ones that had riled up the crowds and turned them all against uh, Jesus so that he was brought to trial and eventually crucified. Now, they, hate, they had learned to hate Jesus even though they were grounded in the Hebrew Scriptures because uh, Jesus came with a radical message of love and hope and joy. But their whole religious system was based on rules and regulations and law-keeping. And here was Jesus to present something very different. He spoke of God as a heavenly Father, one that we could have a relationship with them with. And it drove them crazy to the point where they uh, orchestrated events to have Jesus put to death. Now, they had a sneaky feeling that something was going to happen with this Jesus. And so we read in Matthew chapter 27, and I'm going to pick up in verse 62. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver, that's how they thought of Jesus, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, the disciples will come and steal the body and tell the people 
that he has been raised from the dead, this last deception will be worse than the first. The Pharisees felt like something was up. They could sense it in their gut. There, now, it was based uh, on what had happened before. Jesus had said that he would rise from the dead, but they weren't af- really afraid of that. They weren't fearing that he would rise uh, from the dead. They were af- afraid that, there would, that the disciples would have some sort of plot, some sort of uh, scheme to trick people in, to deceive people that Jesus ha- into believing that Jesus has rose from the dead. And it's true. Multiple times, Jesus said, after three days, I will rise from the dead. For example, Mark 9, 31 and 32, he said to them, The Son of Man, referring to himself, is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, but after three days, he will rise. Now, notice, what, uh, notice how people reacted to, the, to this. They, being the disciples, the closest followers of Jesus did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. You see, even uh, his disciples thought, surely he can't be speaking of a literal resurrection. No one rises from the dead. We would think the same thing. How many of you have gone to a funeral service or a memorial service and you see the body laid down into the, into the ground and you, and you think, I wonder if I'll run into them a few days later. We have no category for a resurrection, right? It's completely out of our uh, realm of understanding. And the disciples, it says, were afraid to ask him what it meant. They could not get their minds around it. But the Pharisees thought something could be in the air. So let's make sure that no one deceives the people. You see, I point this out because I think that when it comes to spiritual things today, There is deception in the air as well. There are many people, even though God has spoken very plainly about his truth, who believe things that go against what God's word says. Many have become blind to the truth of God in their own lives, and people are deceived into thinking that they can be, quote-unquote, spiritual, but not religious. They can be spiritual but not really have a relationship with God. Many people are deceived about this today. Many people are tricked into thinking that this life is all that there is. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we shall die. And they are tricked into believing that they ought to just live for themselves and they buy into the the lie of consumerism and materialism, that this is all that there is. And others are deceived into putting God into a box to make him look the way they want him to look. Many people will think that God is this way or God believes this because this is what I believe. And surely this is who God is. You see, uh, the message that Jesus brings, uh, if if what he says is true, then these lies that we experience today, these deceptions, are tragic because they keep us back from the radical truth of what God brings. uh, We are not meant to live just spiritual lives apart from God. We are not meant to fit God into a box. God is far too big for that. 
He is far greater. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I recognize that is one of the hardest verses for people to hear because it sounds so exclusive. How could Jesus be the only way to the Father? There are surely so many other ways. We're saying that all these other ways are false. Well, this is, these are the words of Jesus. Could he be a truth teller? His, his message is exclusive, but in another way it is very inclusive because his message is an invitation to enter into a relationship with God, a relationship full of love and truth. Could Jesus possibly be telling the truth? After Pilate hears from the chief priests and the Pharisees, he sides with them and fears that the disciples may try to deceive the people by stealing the body and claiming a resurrection from the dead. So to make sure that this doesn't happen, he places guards at the entrance of the tomb. Picking up where I left off in Matthew 27, verse 65, Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go and make a tomb secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by placing a seal on the stone and posting a guard. The guard would have been like the soldier at the, at the uh, tomb of the unknown soldier in Washington, D.C., right? There is always someone there alert and awake, making sure that no funny business happens. The guard was there, and it was, it was a rotation, I'm sure, just like the uh, guards, just like the soldiers in Washington, D.C., and they were wide awake. Nothing was going to happen. And then to, put, to add to it, Pilate says, put a seal on the tomb. A seal, would have, a seal was used in the first century to just uh, assure that uh, you, could, you could verify if something funny had happened. And so it's usually made of uh, wax or clay, not Play-Doh like I'm using, but uh, wax or clay, but they would put it between, in this case, put it between the large stone that weighed several hundred pounds and the entrance of the tomb. Now, obviously, just to uh, give us clarity on this, uh, the seal was there, and sometimes a, a signet ring would be used to mark it, uh, to make it official from the governor or the, uh, or the uh, Roman officer. But um, the seal was there so that it, it could easily be, uh, you could easily tell if something had happened. The, the seal would be broken. And they could say that, was, uh, that something deceptive has happened. Pilate went to these extra measures to uh, ensure that no deception took place. Matthew 28, verse 1 says, After the Sabbath, at the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. 
Let me just pause there. I have one more verse I'm going to uh, read from this passage, but let me just pause there for a moment and, uh, and point out the irony of the situation. The dead man in the tomb is alive. And the men that are supposed to be alive and alert guarding the tomb shake like dead men. Isn't this, uh, the whole thing is turned on its head. And that's exactly what we are seeing here on uh, Easter Sunday. The whole thing is turned on its head. In this world that is so messed up, that is so uh, uh, filled with chaos and disorder, and you don't have to watch the nightly news but one time to recognize this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is a messed up world. And the resurrection is turning everything on its head. And wrongs will be made right. Unjust, the unjust will be punished and, and the righteousness of God will come. And then one final verse, verse 6. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Just as he said. Every year that as I uh, think on uh, the resurrection on Easter, you know, it's a story that some of us have heard dozens, hundreds of times. What is the unique aspect that God wants us to focus on this year? Here it is. He has risen, just as he said. I'm sure that the women who first heard this had their uh, memories flooded with, uh, uh, recall, with recollections of Jesus promising just such a thing. They could not grasp it in the moment. Could this actually be what Jesus meant? A literal resurrection. And if it is, the resurrection proves that Jesus is a truth teller. Nobody could have made it up. Nobody could have predicted it and had it happen. Now, with our modern scientific mindset, it's hard for us to get our minds around it, right? Many will dismiss Jesus simply on this account, that we claim this uh, crazy idea that Jesus was literally dead and rose from the dead. No one really claims anymore that Jesus did not exist, it used to be that people would say, oh, no, he, he, uh, this is just a story that was made up. All legitimate historians today admit that Jesus existed in, his, in history. The claim now is, uh, the dispute now is, did he rise from the dead? But before we think of ourselves too highly, let me point out that those in the first century were sane, reasonable people. They were not crazy, foolish, ignorant first century men and women that could not decipher what would happen to a dead man. These were uh, reasonable people that never thought that Jesus would rise from the dead, literally. Now, many of them came to believe that he did, and they were killed for it. Many died for this belief, which they would hardly have done for an elaborate lie. If the whole goal of, uh, of the time for Jesus' followers were to keep the memory of him alive and to start a movement, I guarantee you they would not have started it with the ridiculous idea that he had risen from the dead. 
if they wanted to be taken seriously, if they wanted to have any legitimate place in society, they would not have chosen the story of the resurrection unless they actually believed it to be true. And they surely wouldn't have chosen uh, women who in that day, and I know this is uh, tough for us to understand because we live in a very different age, but women were not given credibility even in a court of law. They were not called to be eyewitnesses. These were the first witnesses of Jesus, one of whom is named here as Mary Magdalene, whom we know would be a person of shame in first century society, a, a, a person who was a prostitute before she came to know Christ. If your whole goal was to, was to start a movement, you would not start it with the testimony of women, and you would not start it with the embarrassment of the first century leaders. Because what we see in all of the disciples, their lives, they're, they're full of fear and doubt. In fact, Thomas, one of the disciples, had a hard time believing what the other disciples said, that Jesus had rose from the dead. He said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. And so Jesus came to Thomas and let him touch his hands and his side. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You and I are in the camp of having not seen. The question for us is, could we actually believe Though we can't prove it scientifically, there is enough credibility to the historical story to say that Jesus could have risen from the dead. If there is a God who is all-powerful, then it is reasonable to conclude that he could raise his son from the dead. And so it boils down to faith. Jesus said many radical things. Things about loving your enemies, denying yourself, calling upon God as your heavenly father, your sins are forgiven. But nothing was more radical or outstanding than the idea that he would rise from the dead. And he repeated it many times. My challenge for us today on Easter Sunday is to grasp this, not just mentally, but in our hearts as well. The, the idea that the, true, the resurrection proves that Jesus is a truth teller. Would you trust in him? Though you have not seen him, would you believe in him and his message? If Jesus is a truth teller, there are two major differences that he can bring into your life. If Jesus is a truth teller, then he is also a sin taker. He, uh, Jesus alone, his resurrection proves that he has power over sin and death and can forgive sins. His death on the cross is a sacrificial death for our sins. Every Sunday after church, uh, eventually I will make my way out to this basketball court with Dawson and we'll be shooting baskets. And uh, some Sundays we will uh, we'll have a competition. Who can be the first person to make a half-court shot? Okay, And sometimes we'll be out there for a while chucking up half-court shots, but, of, but eventually one of us will make a half-court shot. Now, what if I was today to, to, uh, to take a basketball this Sunday and say, 
You know, I'm going to back it up. Not a half quarter. I'm going to go from right here. Can I make a basket in that hoop from right here? Now, chances are I could shoot all week, and I probably would not make a basket. But hypothetically, I think I can throw it far enough. Hypothetically, I could possibly make a basket. Now, what if I said Cameron Elementary or West Covina High School? I could throw a basketball until my dying day, and I guarantee you I will never make a hoop uh, into the basketball courts at the, at the schools down the street. My point is, sometimes we think of sin and we think, oh, I'm not really that bad. I can make half-court shots. I mess up sometimes, but once in a while I'll get it right. And maybe we think, oh, well, I could, it's, it, it's possible. I'll stand before God, and, uh, and I'm just hoping upon hope that one day when I stand before him, he'll, he will say, you are righteous. Well, it doesn't work that way. When it comes, uh, between, uh, when it comes uh, to sin between us and God, it is like throwing uh, basketballs at West Covina High School. Our righteousness is not compared uh, to the, our sin or our unrighteousness. Our righteousness is not even compared to our neighbor's unrighteousness. Our righteousness will be compared to the holiness of God. And the truth is, all of us will fall desperately short. And so if Jesus is a truth teller and he is a sin taker, this is good news for us. Because that means that he wipes away the sin that stands before us and God. That means Jesus' message that we can have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. That is truth. I am the way and the truth and the life. Whoever comes to me, whoever comes to the Father, comes through Jesus. That through Jesus, that our sin taker, we can have a relationship with him. That's a remarkable truth. A truth that can change our lives. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, grave, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 55, and 56. Jesus is a sin taker. And if Jesus is a truth teller, he is also a life changer. Jesus can change our lives. Oftentimes when Jesus would forgive someone's sins, he would then say, now go and sin no more. You see, we must have our lives changed, and it is by trusting in him that he will take our old life and he will give us a new life. As 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ." The new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. This morning I want to ask you, would you receive the new life of Jesus Christ? Would you receive his forgiveness? Would you receive his strength and encouragement? Would you receive his power over sin and addiction? Would you receive his washing you clean and giving you and freeing you of your guilt and shame? If Jesus is a truth teller, he told us how to have our lives changed. It is by trusting in him. You know, we talk about these uh, seals that were uh, placed on the entrance of the tomb and uh, there is a spiritual truth to the idea of a seal 
You know, they only placed seals on the things that were most precious and most important during the first century. And as, as I said, sometimes it was, it was marked by the ring of the governor or of a, of a Roman official. This was only used for the most important things, to guard them and to keep them safe. I'm reminded of what Paul says in Ephesians 1.13. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the message from the truth teller, the gospel of your salvation, have also believed and you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You see, when you uh, place your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. That is how Jesus takes away your sins and how he changes your life. And I'll admit, just as J.R. pointed out at the beginning of this worship service, this year has been a doozy. There has been times where I'm like, man, there, I don't know if I can get through this. It's been, it's been a up and down. It's been an emotional wreck. There's been highs and lows and a lot of lows. And sometimes we have felt broken. And sometimes we have felt like we just need to see somebody. And sometimes we felt like, I don't know if I can go on. And sometimes the only truth that I had to hold on to was that the fact that I am precious and important in God's sight and that he has sealed me with the Holy Spirit and nothing can take me out of his care. I am guarded by his Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying no difficulty will come into your life. What I'm saying is nothing can take you out of, the care, out of God's care. And so I invite you to receive new life in Christ, to receive his salvation. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and uh, prepare uh, to lead us in communion. But as they do, uh, I thought I'd just give us an opportunity to reflect upon Jesus' message of truth. Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but my me. And so if there is anyone here this morning that has never come to the Father and would love to receive God's salvation today, I'm going to give you an opportunity to, uh, to invite God into your life. Now this message of truth is simply the truth that takes up root into our hearts. It's not the magical words. It's not the, it's not, this is not the only place that you can receive Christ, but I'm going to give you the opportunity this morning to turn your life over to Christ. Maybe you've heard this message a hundred times, but this is your opportunity. What we're about to do in uh, the Lord's Supper is basically the gospel message in the form of crackers and juice. This repre the, the, uh, the wafer that you have in your hands represents Jesus' body that was broken for you. The juice that you have in your hands symbolically uh, represents Jesus' blood that was shed for you. This is what offers us new life in Christ. It is Jesus' 
uh, death on the cross. And so let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And uh, I want to give us just a moment to reflect on what God has done for us. I invite you to pray in your hearts. Whether you have been a Christian for a long time or today you are ready to receive God's salvation. I invite you to uh, invite, I invite you to invite Jesus to come into your life again or for the very first time to pray a prayer like this. Jesus, I recognize that you are a truth teller, that you and you alone have uh, the words of life. And I invite you to come into my life to forgive my sins and to make me new. I invite you to be my Savior and my Lord. And we receive you by, in Jesus' name, through his death and resurrection. Let's prepare our hearts for communion uh, through the singing of this song.